0: Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, Sad, Confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Steve Zahn from Reality Bites and That Thing You Do to The White Lotus, plus Eugenio Derbez on one of the best films of the year, Coda. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Two new guests on the podcast today uh, talking about two of my favorite recent projects. One of my favorite TV shows going on right now. And truly one of my favorite movies I've seen in, in quite some time. So first up, let me tease later on a conversation with a gentleman by the name of Eugenio Derbez. Um, you probably either really know his work or have no idea who Eugenio is. It's kind of has this odd life where he is very much an international star. He's a huge uh, uh, star, particularly back home in Mexico. Though he's broken through several times um, in American films um, in the last ten years. Plus years. Um, but he is like he's one of these guys that like just exudes charm and charisma. You can see why he's a star. And it's been kind of fascinating to sort of see him um, dip into American films over the last decade. He was in uh, Overboard with Anna Faris. He's been in animated films. He's done a ton of stuff. And he's currently uh, taking a supporting role in a fantastic movie, a a truly moving, sweet film called Coda um, in which he plays a music teacher who is kind of helping to inspire and teach a young woman who is the only hearing member of her family. Um, The film is an ensemble piece, but it really stars a young woman named Amelia Jones, who is just fantastic, and I really think there are big things ahead for her, and she's just... uh, sings like an angel and is just a, it's just a, again another very charismatic great performance Marley Matlin Oscar winner is in this one as well can't um recommend this one highly enough. It's on Apple TV Plus. It's also in theaters. Coda. We're going to talk to Eugenio about that a little bit later on, and you're going to fall in love with him because he's a charming, charming gentleman. But first up, our extended conversation today. The big one today is uh, with an actor I've always admired and bizarrely have never really had this kind of conversation with. Steve Zahn. One of those guys we all know and love, always pops up in the least likely places and is always just authentic and real and fun. Um, of course, his first film, he hit it big with Reality Bites. He followed that up very uh, soon thereafter with That Thing You Do. And he's one of these guys that just pops up every year or two in, the, in, in different genres of film and kind of keeps reiterating and now is uh, one of the ensemble members of the cast of The White Lotus on HBO. White Lotus, I believe by the time you hear this, has just ended its uh, first season run on HBO. Uh, I binged this early on. I got a chance to watch the screeners. It's from Mike White, who you may know uh, as the creator of the TV show Enlightened. He uh, wrote the movie Chuck and Buck way back when. Uh, A very unique voice in television and film. And the White Lotus, uh, about a resort... Uh, a a group of kind of not, I I don't know, I wouldn't say endearing, (laughs) I I would say problematic, um, screwed-up individuals at a resort um, all going through it um, individually and together. And Steve is part of this great ensemble that includes uh, Jennifer Coolidge and Connie Britton and Cindy Sweeney and Alexander Uh, D'Addario. It's just a great cast and a really absorbing, quirky, odd... Drama at times, comedy at times, social satire at times, um, a special piece of work. The White Lotus, if you haven't checked it out, check it out on HBO. And uh, had a great time chatting with Steve, who spends most of his time on a farm in Kentucky, away from New York and L.A., um, just living his life, and uh, somehow sneaks in these great film and TV works throughout the years. Uh, I should say, steves as much as I love Steve, the Wi-Fi could be better back home at Kentucky, and he, he owned up to it. So this one, it's a little frustrating at times, it was for me at least, a little bit. He like goes in and out a little bit, there are some like little bits where it kind of like stutters, go with it, again, doing the best we can in these in these times of Zoom, but you'll get 95% of the conversation that it just might be some little bits and bobs that are a little, little hard to follow. But his charm um, is uh, self-evident, and um, it's a great chat. Two very charming gentlemen today, Eugenio Derbez, and Steve's on, so that's a, that's a good show. Very pleased to present this one to you today. Also pleased to mention a couple other very exciting things. Um, so Stir Crazy for those of you that follow my work, um, Stir Crazy was kind of my baby in the last year of COVID that we created um, this Comedy Central talk show that was made basically in my apartment with the help of my friends at Comedy Central. Um, it kind of ran its course, it did its thing, and then we decided to kind of reiterate, and it's now kind of re- been reborn with the very imaginatively titled, The Untitled Josh Horowitz Show. So, what are the differences? I don't know, we're still kind of trying to figure that out. It's very similar to Stir Crazy, I'll be honest. That being said, hopefully, and there are plans afoot, to do some of these, hopefully a lot of these eventually, in person. And that would make me so happy. Um, Zoom's fine, it works, we figured it out, but it'd be great to mix in some in-person uh, chats as well. So, I'm so excited. Comedy Central, um, my, my, my show is back. The first uh, guest is Alexander Daddario. That is up on Comedy Central's YouTube page. I think by the time you hear this, actually, uh, the Jody Comer episode should be up as well. So, that's a nice one-two punch. Jody, who of course has been on Happy, Say I Confused before on the podcast, uh, got to have a fun, silly chat, some games with Jody um, about her new movie, Free Guy. Speaking of Free Guy, you can also check out my conversation with Ryan Reynolds. I did that for MTV News. That's on MTV News' YouTube page. Oh my God, I'm exhausting myself. So much content. What else can I tell you? We just taped a new game night. Not quite sure when we're dropping it pretty soon. You guys are going to enjoy this one. Some new folks, a returning gentleman. It's a good one. Um, anyway, that's over at patreon.com slash happy, sad, confused. Um, I'll release that pretty soon, I promise. So yeah, cool, cool things afoot on game night at the Patreon page. Um, am I missing anything? That feels like a lot, doesn't it? Whew, I'm exhausted. Okay, enjoy these conversations. As I said, uh, main event coming up right now, Steve Zahn talking all things White Lotus and his very fascinating career. A little bit later on, if you want to be patient and stick around, check out um, a very fun, a little bit shorter chat with Eugenio Derez about CODA, the excellent new film on Apple TV+. An embarrassment of riches for you, Happy sad, confused today. Let's start it off with me and Steve Zahn. It is my esteemed honor. This is a special moment in the annals of Happy, Sag Confused. Finally, I don't know how Steve Zahn has evaded my grasp this long, but welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. You're, You're one of these actors that like, I've just, I've loved your work for so long. I've been doing this quite a while. I don't know what the universe has been keeping us apart, but damn it, here we are. I don't know. I had stuff to do. You're working.
1: You're you working you every day. Or if I'm not working, I have stuff to do. I'm, you
0: know, I hear you. gotta do stuff. I hear you. And, and you are you are <laughs> speaking to us from um from home base from Kentucky. Yeah. I'm speaking yeah. to you from my home base, New York. You have a history in New York, though. You you you. This is a part yeah. of your soul. Do you do you romanticize the good old days of of oh, uh, being in New York?
1: Yeah, I loved it there. I mean, it was like a you know. I moved there. It was like eighty nine you know, when you could live in the city and not have to be filthy rich, and you you know it, there was neighborhoods, <laughs> and there was like heap shows, you know those days oh I know, I, I think of uh, fondly on that time there, and then and I was there for a while, and I moved to Hoboken, lived there, lived up on uh, Washington Street. And uh, that was a great place and then moved out, you know, my wife and my girlfriend at the time, but we, we, we were on this national tour and we, we saved up all this money, all this money for us. It was like, you know, we, you know, hit the jackpot, but we bought this cabin in the Poconos. We thought this is going to be our weekend place. Right. And we stopped working. And then it became our place. We had to get rid of our apartment, so we've always kind of been outside, right? You know, you know, we were kind of a adult daycare for our friends who would come out and play bad.
0: You know, now it's a real test of the friends—the ones that come all the way out to where you are now. That—that's real friendship. It's true. It's true. Does it? It does yeah. feel like. Well, when, when I, when I've seen like your conversations in the last, what, like 15 or 16 years since you moved out there, like, I feel like we treat you like a zoo animal. You're like, wait, you live where, how do you, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, what, like, and I'm, I'm, I'm as guilty as it, of it as anybody. I'm a born and bred New Yorker. I'm a snob, but I'm like, he lives yeah. where, how does this even work?
1: Yeah. It kind of makes interviews easy. Cause you just start talking about like, you know, you know, your horses and then it's yeah. Right. right. But, uh. Well, yeah, I mean, it is unique, I guess. It's not to us because this no. has always been our lives. And, and you know, I, I just never wanted to, I, I, you know, I used to get more crap for not living in like Santa Monica or in Chelsea. And, and I just kind of told them, look, I live, in, I live in Santa Monica, okay? Just assume I live in Santa Monica and let me deal with the logistics involved with getting to where you think I have to be
0: right
1: and then it was dropped and meetings and things like that became more important I mean if I flew in to meet someone that changed the dynamic of a of a meeting with a director or a, you know what I mean? yeah
0: yeah this guy's willing to yeah 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 there's yeah, a more obviously you know yeah. I'm here so so going back to I'm just curious about the New York days because I know you had you came from kind of like you had you, you found a tribe you found, a few actors that mm-hmm. you called friends and that that were that you've kind of like interacted with at different points in your career i mean ethan hawk like every few yeah. years you guys just still intersect and it's even good lord bird really recently is he somebody that you immediately do you remember meeting ethan and and did you guys click immediately oh, yeah
1: yeah um ethan we did a play at uh, playwrights horizons called sophistry written by uh Jonathan Mark Sherman. And that's where I kind of met a bunch of those guys, you know, uh, Robert Sean Leonard, Josh Hamilton, and Frank Whaley, and, you know, all those guys. And they started a, a theater company and we, we, you know, rented a theater on 42nd Street. We did, we did young American playwrights. You know, we wanted theater to be inexpensive and great for young people. And yeah, it was really exciting, it was really fun. And Ethan and I worked like I forget one time we we did we did sophistry, we did reality bites, we came back and did sophistry, a second run of sophistry, and then we did another play. We did like four gigs in a row. It was very strange. Wow. So we're tight. you know, Sam Rockwell, all those, all those all those guys you know uh, that were around like hanging out and.
0: Those are fond memories, and you know the early theater days. It's it's so cool um, to also look at like the I mean that amazing group you just talked about, and to look at the varied careers all of you have had, and what and like you know when one person's had a a high, and other person's had a dip, when other person's had a dip. It's like it's just like yeah. the nature of the business and the roller coaster, it and it's, it's just it, there's some there's something kind of beautiful about it to see sort of everybody's had their moments. Mm-hmm. You're all good. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 that'll continue, you yeah. know. Yeah. As we get older, it's just, it's it, it, it it's never, you know, it's never like this. It's never this gradual up, you know. It's 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 always like cliffs, man. And then and then you get bumped up, and then you and then you come back down, and it, you know. And I I'm addicted to that, really. You know the beauty of being an actor is you never truly freak out with unemployment or you know even during COVID like the the initial like last year I didn't work for eight months,
0: yeah.
1: And we all kind of we all were talking and and texting and FaceTiming and we're like yeah, but with actors it's like yeah okay, something will happen.
0: Well, that's I don't know. You know? I've talked to a lot of actors that don't necessarily think that way. I think that comes with experience and enough. Varied work that you at this point. I mean, you didn't feel that way at 27. Probably, you probably were like, "Yeah, but I was dumber." (laughs) Yeah, you had that advantage. Ignorance, yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. hubris,
1: and and, yeah, exactly. Let's go to you know West Bank Cafe or or no? What was that place on West
0: West Jane and Fourth? That's okay. We'll, hit, we'll we'll find out from Rockwell. So Rockwell's a, a buddy of mine as well, and I was I was actually just texting with Leslie last night, uh, and she was saying that he still remains obsessed with you, and she claims that you might be as good a dancer as Sammy. Who, who's the better dancer, you or Rockwell? Well, Sammy's got more of a kind of a impromptu
1: kind of. He's like he's got this like wild, you know, just rhythm built in. I need a little more practice,
0: but I can dance. I can move for sure. But yeah, um, he's just shameless. He'll, as... he'll put it into any part. Like it doesn't even have to fit the role. And suddenly there's like in the middle of a Lincoln's <laughs> biopic, there's a giant dance number for some reason.
1: Yeah, totally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Oh, God. So, so you, you, were, you were referencing earlier, yes, the, the weirdness of last year, this pandemic where everybody's life to different degrees were on pause. Um, and then this must have felt like an amazing gift. I'm, I'm obsessed with this show. I was just telling Dom, your publicist, uh, I just binged White Lotus and I, I just loved it. I've always been a Mike White fan. But yeah. uh, but talk to me about like, does this feel like this was a gift from heaven? Like, wait, I get to work with Mike White. I get to kind of escape for, for a couple months. Oh, how did it yeah. come about? Yeah, no, it was out of the blue, truly. And, I, you know,
1: I, I, I was at that point. I mean, luckily, you know, my wife doesn't act anymore. She's a New York Times bestselling author. She's, she writes. So I, it's, the good thing about that is Robin was writing um, her ass off and keeping us afloat. But I mean, yeah, I would have played a janitor in some Nickelodeon show. You know,
0: <laughs> that would have been a surprise. I'm flipping <laughs> channels, and I see. Wait, maybe Sam and I could have done that. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, well, dude. The two yeah. buddy janitors on. You can't do that on television. <laughs> I would watch that.
1: Yeah, but no. And I and I, and I got the script, and I was like, "Hey, it's Mike White." I'm like, "Oh, jeez." And then I read it, and I was just blown away by it. And character was amazing. And then he was. They were like, "Yeah, it's Hawaii." I'm like. Okay, well, what what else sucks about this? <laughs> I mean, there's absolutely nothing that that you know. It's really a an amazing an amazing opportunity at a horrible time, you know. And then getting there, quarantining, and then, but but the whole structure, you know, quarantining at that time really helped the show. I mean, it 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 made all of us just. Hunker down together. Like I've never done a show where I was, where I knew all the crew people. Like we had dinner with everybody. Where the, the extras stayed in the hotel. I mean, right. it's crazy. Right. So we all got really tight. And and I mean, it would have been a good show without that, but I really think that that that, that bleeds through in the final. You
0: know, it's it's, a, it's it, it is, and it's an amazing ensemble um, from. You and Connie, Dario, um, the amazing Jennifer Coolidge, like everybody's just firing on all cylinders in this. And, and Mike is clearly just such a gifted, unique writer. I've always been a fan just from, from Chuck and Buck on. He always surprises in the best possible ways.
1: And no, he's a master. I mean, you know, HBO called him and said, hey, do you, can you do something like during the, the pandemic? Right. Is there something? And he wrote it like in, <laughs> you know, starting in August and we were shooting in October. I mean, that's really masterful. Yeah. You know? And he's he's as good of a director as he is a writer. And and he's an amazing writer. I mean, he's really, really a,
0: an incredible artist. Do, do you find it's been helpful over the years? Like, do you, as an actor, chase creative types, like writers or directors you, you like? Or is that not fruitful? Does it feel like... They know me. I've been doing this a while. If they like me, if they're interested, they'll come come around to me. Like, what's been your philosophy over the years? Like, do you have the secret list that you've tried to manifest or, or what? There's always people, like, you watch
1: a movie and go, oh, my God. You know, The, the Last Cow. Oh, God, I got to work oh, first
0: cow, her, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kelly, I mean- <laughs> Kelly Riker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Last Cow sounds compelling, the Last too. Cow
1: ever. The last Cow ever? Oh, no. <laughs> first Cow. First Cow was brilliant. Yeah. And I'm like, I I, I would... Uh, she's amazing like brilliant yeah you know something things like that or uh, yeah it's it kind of goes back to that whole like let's start a theater company and 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 put on a show um you know fred who played my son in white lotus a young guy i mean to me he's like a pal he's an he's a equal you know playing field amazing actor and yet he's 21 he's the same age as my my son you know it, it's it's I, to mix with people like that and be inspired by by that that's uh that's what you want man and that's why we'll do it for
0: free right. i am telling anyone but we will not to mention it's rich material i mean this character you meet this guy and he's in the middle of this like existential crisis like that's this gives you something to chew on right from the get-go in the first episode alone he thinks he's dying you get you get prosthetic uh testicles what more can you want for an actor (laughs) i know he's having the worst week of all
1: time right i mean he's challenged left and right and he's up and down and yeah i I mean it was just yeah the the blueprint was so you know obvious for all of us and you don't always get it go into a gig with it being that clear. Well, I know what my journey is, I know who my guy is. Yeah. Now the tone of it we had to figure out a little bit, which which came from Mike. You know, is this is the funny here, or is it the funny here? Or where, you know, and I was coming in here and Mike, you know, day one just brought me back to here. And I was like, okay, I got it. What, is he, like, what does yeah.
0: he literally say to you? He's just like a little less, a little less broad, a little less big, yeah, or what's he's he saying?
1: Specific.
0: I mean, he knew exactly what he wanted, which is, you know, he just wanted it to be
1: real. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted it to be really real. And it's hard to do, you know, depending on the material. But this, this
0: lent itself to real. Well, he, he, I feel and... like he's always kind of like reveled in the awkward, which life can be a lot of the time (laughs) I don't know about you my day is filled with awkward moments and Mike White has never shied away from the weirdness of humans with other humans yeah it's it's really beautiful and
1: and then and then the contrast of the of of nature which I loved about this show right you know the water and whales and and really it, it just you know put up against that it's we're just ridiculous
0: did you feel that oh, like, really- uh, like like do you get that yeah. insignificant feeling when you're when you're doing something like this and you and you know it's tackling those themes you're like oh wait especially in the middle of a global pandemic like oh god we're, we're just insects we're just struggling to survive amidst amidst nature oh, totally.
1: yeah. yeah and it's liberating to know how insignificant you really are yeah you know yeah and we were going through that while we were shooting it you know you have a few hours off and you go snorkel and see a tortoise that's 120 years old that was alive when the titanic sank i mean <laughs> I, yeah I, that that to me is blows my mind you know yeah. And yeah. it's still around and i'm worried about my you no know, damn wi-fi in kentucky
0: yeah exactly. extra back fat <laughs> sorry the, the wi-fi spotted up on us for a second um so some bittersweet news. I mean, I'm very excited about this. The show's been renewed. I guess we don't get to see you guys again. It's gonna they're gonna treat it as kind of like a new, whole new cast. Is that the word on the street?
1: Yeah, I haven't heard much. I mean, you probably know more than I do, but um, but we talked about it during when we were shooting because I know HBO when we were shooting, they were really excited about it. They were like, "Oh my god, they really love this." They, you know, they're already thinking, "How do we do this again?" And we knew that you couldn't do it unless you followed
0: jennifer you know to germany or whatever yeah this whole collective group is not going to journey together to another <laughs> location right
1: <laughs> oh my god this is such a weird cool
0: <laughs> you can hear gilgan's here. island kind of thing maybe you're all stranded yeah. together somewhere Who knows?
1: yeah yeah so you know it'll happen again and mike will make it amazing and it'll be just yeah. as interesting and you know it'll be wherever in the alps or right. wherever
0: mike mike wants to go <laughs> <laughs> The man's been on the Amazing Race. He knows the globe. globe. He'll travel wherever. Um, Yeah. So, indulge me. We we started talking a little bit about New York in the beginning, but let's journey back for a second too, because you know I was the right age for Reality Bites. Hit me at the right time. That was your film debut. It's a hell of a way to start a career. When you look back at that experience. Did you know what the hell you were doing? Did you feel like ready for film at that point? Or do you look back at it saying, I was just kind of like faking my way through it? Well, no, I was, I was really
1: scared. I remember, I, I remember just because no one, it, it, no one takes you, you know, there's no class. All that stuff you have to up. And you kind of go in pretending, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Where's, what's my mark? you know, and all that stuff is, oh, I'm the blue mark and I have to stand there Oh, for focus. Got it. Got it. And I can't move too fast because if I move too fast, it's out of focus and then they won't use it. So that performance, so all those little things you have to really kind of figure out. And I kind of freaked out about it, but I do remember going you know being in theater and, and doing really good theater and challenging theater and all, and 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 being a an confident actor but then going to like rehearsal for a film i was you know over prepared and right. you know i i thought we were going to sit around you know with the dramaturg kind of <laughs> you know break <right? laughs> apart the scenes and and it was really you know there was tape on the floor and no one knew their lines. And I was like, oh, wait, no, I got this, My God. I got. And I learned in that moment, like, oh, if you just over-prepare, and I, and I over-prepare out of complete fear of sucking, you know, and a, a total insecurity. So, but when you do that, you're you're really on top. I mean, you're way ahead of the, so I was pleasantly surprised that, yeah, I can, I can do this,
0: definitely. That, that's a little sad to me that it's like the bar is that low is like that there will that people just don't do the basics and come to the set knowing their lines, being ready. Yeah, sometimes, but, but yeah, it's weird.
1: I mean, most people aren't, most actors aren't like that, but you do run into people every once in a while that don't prepare, which I, I think is so bold. It's unbelievable. <laughs> You know, like like White Lotus, Fred and I, we, we rehearsed every scene a hundred times right. in my room. Right. I mean, it was like, we had them
0: down to the point of where, how do you want us to do this, you know? So coming out of Reality Bites, did you have like a, the idea of like what a film or TV career would look like? Did you have like a, a model in mind of what, what to pursue or what to emulate or no? No, not really. I didn't. I I, I really just kind. Of, I didn't look
1: that far down the road. I mean, I, I young and dumb and just kind of like, what's next, man? You know, what's next? Am I gonna do go do another play? Am I gonna? And it it wasn't until you know, like the whole thing is such a it it, it screws you up because you you know I, I remember coming back from reality bites and I was I was poorer than when I went there. <laughs> And I remember, I remember going. Wait,
0: this is fucked up, man. I'm I, don't, I have less money. <laughs> How oh is gotta, that? Got to save know? that per diem. You got to be managed. Management. Yeah.
1: And so, you know, and and you, as a character actor, you don't really get recognized for anything until you know movie seventeen, right? Depending on what those movies are. So there's all these things that you think it's going to be and it's not. So yeah. you don't have any
0: expectations. You're just like, I'm just paying my rent, man. You know, did you, did, I I have love a sense, though, did you have a sense though at some point where like you, I think you've talked about this before, like th- there literally was or is like a Steve Zahn type that <laughs> has been referred to. Like you yes. must've had that realization at some point that like you had done a few indelible performances of a certain stripe that, in the good way, kind of like cemented your kind of identity, and in maybe a bad way, typecast you. Did you ha- do you remember like when that happened? When there was kind of a Steve Zahn archetype created? I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's like, I
1: do remember someone saying, Yeah, I went to an audition. They told me be, be like you. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> Why didn't they call me? I'm available. I'm around. Yeah. You yeah, can do it like me. <laughs> um, But I don't know when that was. I mean, I really, honestly, it's such a gradual thing for me. I mean, that thing you do kind of did some things and put me on a different platform. And, you know, I know uh, an out of sight did did something. And and then, you know, it's just interesting because sometimes you work on films that you think are brilliant and you're really proud of your performance, but no one saw them. Yeah. But in your head, you're like, no, that was great work. And I'm so proud of that
0: movie. And it's very strange. What's an example of that? Because I mean, I remember back in the day, I feel like you were were like Sundance guy. Every year there was like a cool Sundance film with Steve Zahn. I remember being up for Meet the Parents. It was like me and Ben,
1: you know? And then there was another movie called Happy Texas that I loved. And, you know, at the time when you're auditioning and, and you're up for stuff, you're, you're not going, you know, you don't know what movie is going to hit or not. And, and I really wanted to do happy Texas. So I did it. And then Miramax bought it and it was like the biggest acquisition at like uh-huh. Sunday it broke all these records. Yeah. And I think ironically, the movie that beat it, that broke that record was like little miss sunshine, but right. Right. and, 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 it, it, you know, it, it wasn't released. It was yeah. released in, like, two houses. And I was doing press for it and everything, and there's a whole story behind that. But, but like, if that was released, I really think that movie would have, would have changed things
0: in a different way, you know, for sure. Because it was a really, you know, it was a good movie. Well, it's funny. It's, a, it's so much, I mean, this is a constant refrain in all the conversations I have with actors. So much of it, you know, people have the have the, the false notion that actors are in control of their own careers. And the reality is that like 2% have the luxury of, of like a lot of choice, unless your name is Tom Cruise or George Clooney, you kind of, uh, most of your career, you're taking what what's available. Sure. Um, I mean, and I know for you, like you've talked about like that thing you do was an amazing opportunity. And obviously one of the high watermarks I would say, in a great film career, but, like, I know you wanted Courage Under Fire at the time, right? That was the other one you were going after, and that's a different path. That's a different career. Yeah, isn't that crazy? A completely different thing. Yeah, me and Matt
1: were up for that. Like, you know, sometimes you think you're up for stuff. I know that it was like me and Matt Damon, I think, for that. With Ed Zwick, you know, directing, and it was, I, I wanted that so bad, you know, and then I didn't get it. And it was so upset, and I was so bummed out. Damon is great, and you know, I was just like, uh, and then I got to that thing you do, which is a completely different avenue. But it, I mean, you know, you come out of acting school, and you're playing, you're an ingenue, you know, you're right. You're playing young lover and then and then someone you play a stoner and all of a sudden you're a stone guy for 10 years <laughs> you know well, interesting
0: well that makes it's funny and then, like, and then
1: eventually you get older and you're not
0: stone guy anymore right you know well and it's interesting like speaking of like you know stoner guy like you yes you're playing some parts that are similar but it's also a wide array of different kind of films like i, I think of that period in like the late 90s and we talk about that thing you do but we also talk about like safe men and out of sight and you've got male, like you, you can't like, I mean, like Nora Ephron to Soderbergh, like you're getting some variety in there, even if you're playing yeah. similar types. Oh, totally.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, that, I think back I. you know, I wish I was a little more aware of what was happening as it was happening. Right. Because I, I was, I had the, I, I was so lucky to work with such amazing people, even if it was smaller stuff in a bigger movie, you know, like. Uh, You've got mail. You know, uh, you know, with
0: with Nora, I had a much bigger part. My my love interest was cut from that movie. Okay, can I can I bring this up? Because I've I've long had an obsession. So first of all, I grew up on the Upper West Side. So you've got mail. When I was growing up, was like a big thing. Like I love I love Nora's work. So I've always been obsessed with a subplot in You've Got Mail about the rooftop killer. My thing, my (laughs) I've always wanted. Here's my spinoff idea. If Nora sadly were still still with us, I would I would pitch yeah. this to her. I want the film about the cops chasing the rooftop killer. It's a drama going on in the background of You've Got Mail and there's a serial killer. It's such a weird, odd subplot in a beautiful romantic comedy. and I know your character was was very much involved in that subplot, right? Yeah, because I the detective investigating
1: this killer, comes to my apartment and I can't, I can't even remember like the scenes or what, but basically it was really funny. We, you know, she's interviewing me and I'm looking at her in this weird way. We can't, we, 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 we have to kiss. Like there's nothing said. There's that we just start making out and we just, we're just this, this force of sex and love and sweating. And we can't, be away from each other. It's just like, and and so my coworkers are just baffled with this. You know, here is this nerdy guy in this, and here I am. You know, like on this, the greatest love. You know, uh, whatever ever. And and so there were all these just funny kind of scenes, these great scenes with this, with my my love into this detective. And then I remember going to looping, and yeah, she was like, "Hey, I'm so, we had to cut that your love interest." I was like, "Oh." it's tragic oh wait what? but then I was like oh wait you, then you're wait you're cutting mice right st- <laughs> wait <laughs> I was in those scenes with my dress. <laughs> why am I in the movie and she's like no 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 it's gonna be okay we're gonna work it
0: out you know It was just like so oh no it's, it's, it's amazing when I discovered that in recent years that there was more to the rooftop killer subplot I was like justification because it always felt like there was unfinished business in that what yeah, the long movie who are you gonna cut Tom no right, right. <laughs> <laughs> we, skipped, we skipped over one early uh, film that I'm uh, fascinated by. You, you popped up in, uh, in Crimson Tide, the great Tony Scott with some of like the acting titans of the time. Were you I'm always obsessed with Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman always comes up on this podcast. Was he intimidating? He seemed like I mean he's still around, but he's, he seems like doesn't suffer fools. He's a tough one. Yeah, no, for sure.
1: But like an actor. Like, you know, like, and not like a mean guy or anything. He was just just like, yeah, he would just have this, it was Gene Hackman, man. Yeah. People just kind of bowed down to him. I mean, it was, yeah, that was a, that was a great experience. Tony Scott was so amazing. He was one of the most, like, I've never seen anybody able to, like, he had this incredible gift of controlling some people just have this, some people freak out and you can tell they're like maybe in over their heads right. and they're and they're pretending to be stronger than they are just so they can control each day, each like crazy, you know. And that was a huge movie for at the time and even by today's standards. And, and he was just like cool as a cucumber, man. Everybody loved him. He was never, he was always joking. He was, he was, he was a great, uh director and i you know i I was one of the guys in the sub you know right i didn't have a lot of stuff i played a lot of poker i remember
0: that in the trailers (laughs) it's a good cast to hang out with i mean like vigo only had a couple scenes too you were in good company there so so, you know it it was really fun so, yeah, no, I mean, yeah. And I totally I'm with you on everything you've said about Tony. He's his loss is, is significant. He was so confident behind the camera and there were a few like him. Um, and then on the other, like another much different kind of filmmaker. And I know this is a part that's close to your heart. Uh, you got to work with the great Werner Herzog on Rescue Dawn. And, yeah. you know, talk to me a little bit about the yeah. significance of like that, that. That sounds to me from everything I've read or heard you say was a very special role that you chased. And, and why was it so?
1: Well, for one thing, I was a huge fan, and and that, you know, and that's that's one of those that we were talking before, where you go, if I could ever get the chance to work with that guy, I would do it. And everybody on that set, everybody said the same thing. They were like, "I'll do anything, just yeah. I just want to work with the guy." But then he made a movie called Little Dieter Needs Fly, which right. is this amazing documentary about Dieter Dengler, who is who you know Christian plays in the movie and that movie, that that documentary moved me to i loved that that was so cathartic i remember when i saw that the first time and then when i heard that he was making werner was making movie of you know i was like oh man i have to meet him i have to talk i have to it, it's the kiss of death to go in and just open your chest and right you know let them know your passion. It just it's, it's, it never works, you know. I have so many stories about that. Like you have to hire me. There's no one to get okay. And you know, I'm not even an extra.
0: <laughs> you got to be above it all. Like yeah, I could take it or leave it, and then they I actually want help.
1: you. You have to do that, you know. <laughs> but uh, um, but yeah, no, and I, I and I got a meeting with him, you know, and 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 it was like he made me a steak at his house in L.A. <laughs> And I, and I had to borrow, a I borrowed a sport coat from the, from, I was shooting something. I was like, I need a sport, I, I wanna look good. And I got like, I went and just, I, you know, at the time I didn't know much about wine. I just got like a, you know, $130 bottle of wine. I was like, here, he was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And he cooked me a steak. And we talked and he cooked two steaks. And I was watching him like cook steaks and he didn't have a TV, I remember. And he just showed me, journals and art and it was incredible and from that meeting he was like i want you to play Dwayne," and i was i was thrilled it was one of the only times in my career where i i i I had a gig you know four months ahead or five months you know yeah and i started losing
0: weight and I, i was totally into it you know And when you're on set of something like that, is it just, I mean, obviously Christian is so dedicated, like he's infamously just like, we'll go to any length necessary. And you clearly were invested. Does that, does that set experience stand apart in terms of just like, I don't know how extreme it was in the best possible way. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was insane.
1: I mean, it was a little movie, right? It wasn't a lot of money and we're in Thailand and, and, (laughs) I think they were bringing cash in, like from a plane. You know, like it was crazy. Like, you know, one day the Teamsters weren't paid or the, the, the those guys. And then so Werner was saying, We're going to go to study, we're going to break the doors and we're going to shoot. We don't need lights. You know, just incredible stuff. That's
0: Impressive. what you want. That's what you like- want in a Werner Herzog <laughs> film. You want You want the full experience, right? it
1: was so funny oh my god that guy is so funny he's a he's one of the funniest dudes i've ever worked with and we just it was we had so much fun and we
0: laughed so much but it was it was a
1: really hard gig
0: for sure yeah, i'm sure it shows it on the screen but it paid off uh, another one that i know was difficult but also um creatively very fulfilling it's one of the few times actually we, we chatted i moderated a, a big q a for war of the planet of the apes here in new york yeah. and um I, I just adore Matt Reeves. I think he's just, I know he's, he's a, like again, a very like singular director, very focused and like, we'll just, you know, in the best possible way. Um, but man, nobody can create like that kind of spectacle like him. Talk to me about, I mean, this was your first kind of performance captured experience. Was that a kind of a game changer for you? Yeah, totally. I mean, that was a, that was a, I was, I, that, talk about being scared. I mean,
1: I was so intimidated by that whole thing. Yeah. And, and then I remember my first day, it was just, I was just petrified because I was, I was, I had to go out and pretend I was a monkey. <laughs> People, you know, <laughs> man, I've, been pra- I've been practicing in my hotel and I killed it in my hotel by myself. I was I'm like, sure. yeah. hello chimpanzee. A <laughs> plus, dude. And then I, but then you go and you put the whole thing in, and I'm going to act with Andy and all these guys that have done it for, like their third movie or whatever. And I'm like, I, and, it, you know, the set's built and it's like, it took like three months to build my set, it's my set, you know. <laughs> and you go in, but I remember Matt, Matt treated it like we were, we were doing, we were having play rehearsal, a rehearsal for King Lear.
0: Yeah.
1: And we sat for an hour and we just talked and we worked on the scene and we did, and it totally eased me into, oh, wait, this is not, this is, this is, this is, this is acting. This is, and I, it, it totally blew me away. I thought it would be this technical kind of wizardry and yep. I would kind of figure out all these technical things. And it, and it really wasn't the case.
0: Yeah. No, it strips it down to the basics. it actually goes back to the essentials, doesn't it? It's kind of crazy. It was so much fun. Yeah. That was a, that was fun. So so talk to me. I mean, like coming a little full circle as as we wrap up, I'm just curious, like, you know, we talked a little bit about that that merry-go-round, that roller coaster that actors go on, that every good actor goes on if you're so lucky to make your career your life. What's your philosophy like in recent years? Like again, do you kind of like, you know, you've played the leading guy, you've been the character guy, you've been the sidekick, you've done TV, you've done film, you've done theater. Like, do you Again, is at this point, is the philosophy kind of the same as it was 20 years ago? Or are you more calculated yeah. about what you want or what you oh. want to do?
1: No, I'm less
0: calculated. Really? I
1: mean, I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, are, are there going to be less opportunities? Are there, are, You know, as I get older, you know, I just love doing this. I'm so lucky. And I, I still feel like it's day one, you know when I work on a script, I work on it. Like I worked on Biloxi blues in 1986, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know any other way of doing it. And, and like you said, I don't sit down and go like read scripts and go maybe pile, no pile. <laughs> and definitely, You know, I just don't, you know, I don't have that that luxury. Now I do turn things down that I don't get excited about, or I don't see myself in, but, um, it's almost like I'm, I, I kind of work harder now, you know, cause, cause it's harder to shape shift in front of people that know what you do.
0: Yeah, but that, it's kind of exciting because it's like you've transcended like you went through that period like as we kind of alluded to earlier where you were like of a certain age and playing that young kind of stoner type and now it's kind of like it kind of gets more interesting like now it's like you're, you can be the dad you can be the psyche you can be the lead you can do it all and 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 you have the body of work that shows you can kind of like i, I think i would argue like people like you people like Rockwell you make it look so easy and seamless. That's, that's the, and that's the mark of a great actor. And like, I, I think it's just, it seems like it's just getting better and better. So I hope it feels that way to you. If it, it I feel comfortable doing, I love being on set. I love working.
1: Yeah. I love, I love the circus. I love being a part of it. And that's what drives me. It's, it's, it, that's, that's it. I mean, I, all the other stuff that's in it, that's attached to this business I really I, I don't really I, it's fine it's whatever yeah, yeah. going to festival and stuff that's great but but I just love to work and that's yeah. why COVID was hard because sitting on set and, and shooting the shit with people and having fun was mi- was minimized because of masks and protocol right.
0: is, is is there is there work they on the great. horizon right now or are you in kind of like a, a wait and see mode
1: well, as you can tell, I, I, my beard's pretty wicked.
0: Notice them.
1: That means that I'm waiting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a dead giveaway that you're in between. <laughs> yeah, this is this is options. Right. I see. Yeah, this is this is so you can show the director what do you want? What do State, you need? State Trooper
1: 1983, right there. <laughs> um, you know, pirate, uh one of Cook, one of Custer's guys. Right. You know. <laughs> there's a lot of options right there i I mean i really like to mask i really do it's it's really about masking and it's like i don't you know maybe the next guy has a wicked beard i don't know
0: look all i want in life is you and rockwell back together again some wicked some wicked beards how long has it been since you guys did i mean you did safe men way back in the day what have you done have you done anything recently well we did we worked on uh, uh blaze right with with Ethan we did that. Yeah. and that yeah. was fun
1: that was just like a reunion we went down like for three days and did that it was so much fun right but um but yeah and I'm just like you know when I have all these tapes these like from you know the camera and I used to take a lot of video and I never watched any of it and a friend of mine is now making it digital and, and you know and and I two days ago there's this stuff with me and Sam in my kitchen in a, in a farmhouse in Jersey, rehearsing safe men. And I was like, Oh my God,
0: I can't wait to, I can't wait to, to uh, I'm going to send him that. And he's have to, it'll blow wow. his mind. That's I love it. I love it. I did. I did a book way back when of like young filmmakers at the time, like 20 years ago. And John Hamburg was one of the the guys like profiled, And that of course was, I think that was his first wow. film at the time. So um. Well, anyway, as you can tell, we, we we've got some common people in our lives. I'm thrilled that finally we connected. Uh, we 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 conquered the the spotty Wi-Fi in Kentucky. I think we did it. Yeah. Congratulations, yeah. man, on um on White Lotus. As you can tell, I'm a big fan of Thank this you. project, and I'm a big fan of yours. And um, hopefully we'll continue as, to connect in the future, man.
1: Yeah. Right on. Anytime. Yeah. Right. That was, was a really good conversation. Thank you.
0: Eugenio, welcome to the Happy Second Fuse podcast. Uh, It is a real pleasure. I'm a fan of your work, and I am I am in awe of this movie. This movie is a special one. Congratulations, man! It is.
2: uh, I'm I'm glad you liked it. Uh, I love this project. You you know I I was working at Lionsgate like uh, probably four years ago, and uh, Patrick, one of the producers now uh, showed me the the original movie back then and I loved it. I was really crazy about it and I was thinking about probably adapting it but uh because I'm I'm more a comedian so my background is comes from comedy and I thought that probably this was more a drama more than a comedy so I was I loved the project but I thought it was probably not exactly what my audience was was expecting from me as a producing, as me starring. So at the end, I didn't, and that I didn't end up making it. But at, years later, it came back to me as an actor, and I was crazy about it. I immediately yeah. said yes, and and the result uh, blowed my mind. So no,
0: then, I mean. It's, it's. I mean, I guess it's, you know, it's that old adage. Yes, it was meant to be. But um, this one, for those that don't know, um, CODA is a film that it, it ironically debuted kind of at that virtual Sundance. I, I, I go to Sundance every year. Sadly, obviously, it wasn't the normal Sundance. This movie would have blown the roof off of the place. It is such a crowd movie. Um, it's about uh, a young woman in Gloucester, Mass, who um, is the only hearing member of her family. She has aspirations to be a singer and it is just so moving and powerful and sweet and funny and um, surprising in the best possible ways. And, and as you said, you're you you you're part of this great ensemble in this film. Um, you're her teacher, kind of her mentor. Um, and, I, and I mean this in the best possible way, like I'm surprised you're in this movie because like this, as you kind of alluded to, your comedy generally tends to be a little bit broader, which we love, but you kind of have to kind of rein it back in, in this one and play a supporting role. Um, was that a fun adjustment for you? Was that kind of something that you had to like be mindful of? Like, I need to make sure I fit into the, the, the vibe of this movie.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. I was always worried and uh, conscious that I, that there was a completely different thing. And, uh, um... I was born and raised in Mexico City and I did my entire career uh, around comedy as I told you before uh, I had my own comedy shows and when I was in Mexico uh, I always wanted to do movies uh, a little bit of drama also and nobody uh, wanted to hire me because even though I was like the my, my shows were the most uh, popular shows in, not in just in Mexico, but in Latin America. Right. Yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah. Uh, but my image was linked to, the, you know, comedy. So nobody wanted to give me a chance in drama. They said, no, you know, if I put you in my movie, people are going to laugh. And I don't want people to laugh because this is a drama, whatever. So now that I, I am mean, working here in the U.S. Uh, and nobody knows my background. I mean, few people, but no, not right. everyone uh when I got this opportunity I was like shocked I was so happy but at the same time I knew I had to be like very uh, contained so uh, I was always like reminding myself you need to be very careful uh, very contained uh, it was a challenge for me because I usually am brother right and I have to be really contained in this in this this uh,
0: uh, well, w- well you, to- you totally fit in. I mean, and the ensemble <laughs> is fantastic. And it's funny, like the way you talk about it, like you turned kind of what might be perceived as a disadvantage to your advantage. The fact that like in the American market still, to some degree, you're clearly have a different kind of profile, but you've kind of used, I wouldn't say it's anonymity because you're still very well known here, but like you have more of a clean slate to experiment and do kinds of things you wouldn't necessarily do probably back home.
2: Absolutely. You know, I- and I'm aware I'm-, I'm a very well-known face for all the, Latinos here in the U.S. and in Latin America but for the general market for the right. Americans I'm a new face so and that's good I love that it's like right. living this two lives in the at the same time.
0: <laughs> so so the story of Ruby is interesting I wonder if you relate to it on any level because like she is somebody who it's a very loving family I kind of love this movie because there's really no bad guy in the movie no. but but they still, there's a disconnect because there's nobody in the arts in this family. This is a working class fishing family. And to hear that this young woman wants to sing is just like, it doesn't make any sense. No, I my, my don't. Yeah. don't get it. But my sense in, in reading up on you, I mean, like the arts were part of your family, clearly. Was there any kind of like, were you just, did you feel born into this? Was there any kind of like, when you proclaimed your interest in pursuing the arts, I would imagine in your family, it was, it was pretty well received. This is what we do.
2: Yes, but I think anyone can relate to this story because uh, usually I I, I learned that a lot of parents, they want their kids to be, if you're a doctor, you want your kid to be a doctor. You're an architect, you want your kid to be an architect or whatever. Right. And uh, especially when anyone, any kid wants to become an, an actor or a singer or a dancer. Uh, they usually have to face a lot of uh, uh, yeah, a, a lot of uh, trouble because they feel that this is not a, 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 a something I don't know how to name it probably profitable or decent or sure. professional. Uh, it happened to me when I was young and I said I, I want to be an actor. Everyone was like uh-huh. but, uh but what do you want to be when you're grown up as a professional? I was like an actor Uh, yeah no 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 but i'm talking about a career a real (laughs) career and we're like what are you talking about so that's the perception people think that acting or singing it's like just a hobby not a a professional career and um so i think anyone can be related feel related to this movie because uh, it talks about how your family probably doesn't understand your dreams your 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 what you want to do what you want to do for a living especially in this case we're talking about a family uh, that do, they don't hear anything so they don't understand singing they don't understand music they they know they hear the rhythm they they, they feel the the vibration of the right. bass but they don't get what is singing so there's a beautiful scene where they are like looking at their daughter, it's not exactly in a spoiler. No, yeah, it's yeah. not a spoiler, but they're watching people reacting to the singing of their daughter. And it's a beautiful scene because they don't get it. Yeah. So that's why they're a little bit against that because they don't understand that world. It's,
0: be- it's a beautiful movie. It, it's, it's a great mix that that the director found in the casting of this. Like, obviously, again, as we've alluded to, you're you're well known, Marley Matlin, certainly people know she's an Oscar winner. Uh, And then you have people like Amelia, who's at the heart of this, the young actress who's the lead. And, you know, I just put, I, I wrote this on social media the other day when I was watching, I was watching the film for the second time, I have to watch a lot of movies. I don't watch movies twice, but I I wanted to watch this a second time. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, truly. And, but like, again, without any spoilers, there's a scene towards the end of this movie with a song and you're involved that I was just watching and I'm like, this is, I'm watching a movie star become a movie star. And did you have that sense on set? Was she singing live? Like, did you feel that in the moment working with Amelia? I'm feeling, I'm chills
2: right now, just by remembering. I was at the piano, playing the piano with her. And every time, I remember that it was, we were shooting that scene for many, many hours. And no matter the amount of hours we were there, every time she was singing, you could feel the energy. It was beautiful. We were not tired of hearing her singing. And exactly, I thought the same thing. This this girl is a star. I'm watching a star being born, and the most the funniest thing is that I I I asked her for how long you've been singing, and she said like this is my first time. I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And she said, yeah, I mean, I used to sing in the shower, but that's it. This I didn't know I was I could sing. So for her, uh, she took lessons, singing lessons for this movie, and this was her first time singing so it was incredible to watch that to
0: be yeah, a no, witness of that I can yeah I feel like they're like that doesn't happen very often to watch it kind of happen in real time and it's a very special thing to witness very, um, your, yeah. Yeah, I mean your character um, is supportive but can kind of like deliver a little bit tough love at times I'm curious for you as an actor, Have you had those moments uh, mentors that have had to kind of deliver tough love lessons to you, kind of like stern, but encouraging guidance to you? What's been helpful to you to hear from mentors over the years as you pursue your craft?
2: Well, I think that all of us have experienced this uh, to be with a teacher who's really tough, uh, a teacher that maybe you end up hating because he's mean or he's tough. He's very demanding, but at the end, you realize at the end of the year, probably or anything, uh, you realize that that teacher really cares. That's why he's that that way. And, and in my case, yeah. I was trying to uh, make a character of this mean. It's not that he he's mean, but it comes from love, you know. Yeah. He cares so much about Ruby. He knows that she has the, the talent to become a singer that she pushes her to the limits because he wants her to be successful. And the, the background story that I made, uh, in, I worked with uh, Sean, the director about my character and we made, the, made up this story where he supposedly, he, f- he was a very successful, um, he had a band in Mexico or Latin America. And then he tried to do crossover and he failed. So he ends up teaching classes, but he loves music and he's so passionate about music. He's not playing around. He's not um, wasting his time. Right. He really wants her to succeed because he loves music and he wants her to become something that he couldn't. Right. And that's why he's so exigent. And, um, and it's beautiful because it comes from love, but yeah, Sometimes he's mean, but it's just because he's pushing her.
0: I want you to know, there's a palpable sense of that. I think that's like an indicator of why this movie works is like, while maybe not a lot of that is on the screen, what you just described enough of it is that like, you can sense that this, this guy's lived a life. There's another story here. And you know that the scene before this and the scene after this, there's a, there's a story that's, that's interesting. It's not this story necessarily, but it's something worth pondering perhaps with your friends. Exactly. That's a, that was the idea. Yeah. So, so as, as we close out, I'm just curious, you know, you alluded to, you've had this kind of interesting, this fascinating career really, especially in the last decade where you've kind of like transitioned into more stuff in America, American productions. Does an experience like this prove anything to you, change your attitude at all? This is a smaller film. This is not a film that has a $50 million budget, but arguably it's probably the most resonant American production you've been a part of. Supporting part, small film, There might be, are there lessons there? Uh, Yeah,
2: absolutely. I actually, I've been struggling a lot. Let me tell you why. I I was, as I told you before, I was born and raised in Mexico City and I did my entire career in Mexico. And when I was at the, probably the highest point of my career, I always wanted to, of course, to come to Hollywood, but I thought it was too hard. I tried a couple of times to do some stuff here in the US and um, nothing happened. I did a movie with Adam Sandler called Jack and Jill. Right. I did a Broadway play. I did a series with Rob Schneider called Rob on CBS. But nothing happened really. My, my life didn't change. So I quit and, and I went back to my country and said, ah, I'm going to forget about uh, the American dream. And all of a sudden, I did a movie called Instructions Not Included. Right. And all of a sudden, from one day to another, my life changed. It became the highest grossing Spanish language film ever worldwide. And my agents called me and said, it's now or never. So I had to make a decision and take a leap of faith. And I left everything behind. I I shut down my office, my life. And everyone was like, you're crazy. You're not a teenager anymore. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? And uh, I just shut down everything. And I came to this country to start from scratch in a certain way. And uh, and when I came here and I started doing all these commercial movies that have been really successful, thank God, I'm very grateful, but I really wanted to do something else. I felt that. Now here that I could have a fresh start, I didn't want just to do commercial movies. So when I was doing CODA, I said, this is the kind of film that I want to do. I mean, of course, I know that my audience, they want something more commercial like the movies I do, but this is what my soul and my heart want to do more than commercial movies. So I think I find, I'm finding finally, the balance of what i want to do versus what i i'm
0: feel like supposed you should do. to do yes exactly well that, this is the, the mark yeah. yeah this is the mark of of any great artist is to reiterate to to follow your passions wherever they lead no one does the same thing for 50 years or 10 or without it run, you know getting a little bit stagnant as much as the audience wants it so i i appreciate that you you keep pushing yourself in new areas and and this should hopefully just encourage you more, because uh, as I said, I mean, as you can tell, I, I, I'm just obsessed with this movie and you're fantastic in it, sir. Your, your, your charisma and talent oh, always jumps you, off Josh. the screen. I, I really encourage folks to check out CODA, whether it's in a theater or on Apple TV. And uh, I'm glad it gave uh, us an excuse to uh, get to, to know each other a little bit today, at least. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: absolutely. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm aiming to do more films like this one, actually. I would love to change to do a, you know, I, and I think every comedian do for some reason they go or they aim to drama after a while. Yeah. Uh, Tom Hanks. Uh, Jim Carrey, Edith, they all
0: have it. Yeah. Carrie
2: yeah. Robin yeah. Williams. Yep. Uh, all of them. So yeah, I, I, I think I'm in that point of my career where I would love to switch a little bit more to something deeper,
0: more. Well, it's, it's clearly in you. I mean, you've, you've conquered one mountain, now on to the next. Um, yeah. Thank you again for your time today, sir. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Josh. It was a pleasure talking to you and your all. Thank you very much. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't sure to do this by Josh. <laughs>